Ideas matter. Ideas matter. This is Dialogue. Hello and welcome to Dialogue. China's Spring Festival Travel Rush, also known as Chuanyuan, is the largest annual human migration on Earth. This year, the rush period is going to last for 40 days, and a record 9 billion passenger trips are expected. With China extending visa-free travel to a growing list of countries, a Chinese New Year travel boom is on the horizon. What's new about this year's Chuanyuan, and how do people choose their holiday destinations? What can we learn from thriving holiday consumptions? Joining us for today's show are Flora Liu, founder and CEO of Joyview Education, Marco Foster, head of ICN Advisory from Design Shira and Associates, Chen Jiahe, Chief Investment Officer of Novam RK Technologies, and Yaris Jensen, CEO for China at Darling and expert of UN Tourism. Welcome to Dialogue. Well, the Spring Festival is around the corner. Uh, Flora, I will start with you. How will you celebrate the Lunar New Year? In the past, you know, I would join the largest human migration on this earth. And this year, I will, on the other hand, you know, witness the biggest animal migration in this world, which is... Africa. Uh, Africa, exactly. I'm going to Serengeti um, National Park in Tanzania. That's uh, the plan. Well, that's a big travel plan. Yes. <laughs> so, Jiahe, what about you? Well, I'm spending my time in Hainan, you see. I tried to avoid the traffic rush, you know, that will definitely happen just a few days before the Lunar New Year. So I came about here about three weeks ago, and I spent about three lovely weeks here. I'm going to spend okay. three to four lovely weeks here. Nothing to Again, complain, so since you are in Hainan. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, and uh, so, uh, Marco, uh, any plan or anything special for this uh, Chinese uh, New Year? Yeah, um, so the Lunar New Year migration is not only happening within China, but also uh, all around the region here in Southeast Asia. I am based in Ho Chi Minh City. My family is from Hanoi. We celebrate the Lunar New Year at home as well. So I'll be uh, with my grandma in Hanoi. Mm -hmm. Well, Yaris, uh, so anything special for you too? I'll be visiting Thailand for the first time since 2018 for uh, a warm winter. <laughs> Nice choice, you know, uh, probably a lot of people will obviously choose, uh, you know, uh, Southeast East Asian countries, you know, for various reasons as a practice. Uh, well, the Spring Festival travel rush, you know, for 2024 is expected to last, as we said, uh, you know, like 40 days. And also it's setting a new record of 9 billion passenger trips uh, during this uh, period. In the first day of the travel season alone, uh, Jiahe, I will have this question for you, you know, already 189 million passenger trips were made. I mean, this figure uh, is impressive. Uh, what do these figures tell us? Yeah, definitely. We have saw a lot of people traveling around, you know, all the tickets have been sold out. Hotel prices in Hainan are soaring to like a thousand yuan per night, especially in Sanya. It's even difficult for you to book the hotel, even if you spend the money. Uh, there are multiple reasons why people are traveling out. I mean, if you look at the income growth, it has been steady for Chinese people in the past few years, growing like five to six percent every year. So people get more money. And another thing is that for youngsters, uh, they no longer just go back to home during their the spring festival they love to travel to different destinations so this made the traveling even more long distance 
long distance, you know, speak of that. Uh, so there's uh, something obviously is like a new trend. Uh, uh, back to you, Flora, you know, among these uh, uh, total 9 billion trips, uh, unprecedented like uh, 7.2 billion trips are going to be made by self-driving. Uh, if you compare this number with uh, that of 2019, so basically the proportion of self-driving uh, trips during this period of time, you know, has increased from about 65 to 80 percent. 80 percent. That's a, a big percentage. Why are, you know, so many Chinese travelers, you know, hating the road for this year? Because this year, the official holiday starts on the first day of the Chinese New Year. Um, so it's really hard to secure a ticket. Uh, either it's air ticket or a high-speed train, it's just too difficult. A lot of my friends are still on the wait list. So driving becomes the, the priority option for most of the people. It's so convenient um, and people do not have to wait to uh, get a ticket. Jaco, of course, you know, if you look at the young people, you know, who, let's say, are the, probably the, the majority of uh, those uh, who are traveling back and forth, uh, I mean, the, the ownership, uh, and the automobile ownership in this country, of course, that has something probably to do with uh, the choice of driving home or driving to a certain destination. Uh, definitely. If you look at how many uh, vehicles has been sold in China last year, it's 30 million vehicles has been sold last year, among which 9 million are the new energy vehicles. So people get more and more cars and people get more uh, driving licenses. So nowadays it's much easier for you to drive home. Also alongside the, the highway, you see much more facilities providing all kinds of support to people. So it's pretty easy for you to try, uh, drive around the country nowadays. I mean, it's much easier compared with like one or two decades ago. Mm -hmm. uh, earlier, we also mentioned about, you know, more and more people are expanding their travel plans outside their hometown. Uh, this is very different from the, let's say, tradition. Uh, the tradition is like, of course, you know, you are expected to be home uh, with your parents. That's a family gathering uh, time, you know, staying up all night to send off the old year and welcome the new year. Uh, that's the Chinese uh, tradition, traditional practice, uh, Flora. Uh, so, you know, it, you are one of them, obviously, you are mm -hmm. choosing this new practice that's, uh, that's a flying to another continent even. Uh, what do you make of this change? You know, this, can we call this a trend, a new trend here in China? I believe this is a trend. There are several reasons why people want to make travel plans instead of unite uh, with their families going back to hometown. Firstly, because of the economic development, people have more money and obviously they want to um, make more adventures around the world to see a bigger world. And secondly, younger people in my generation who are born after the 1990s uh, hate cooking, to be honest. <laughs> and you know, in a traditional Chinese family, uh, women are supposed to cook. And now this year, the baton has been passed to me. So I, I've been under a lot of pressure to cook for more than 20 people for more than seven days. So what is the solution? Then I'll take my whole family to travel with me, problem solved. And it's also a way to contribute to the world economy, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a good choice. Uh, uh, Marcos, you know, I wonder, since you stay in Vietnam, you know, what's your observation of the local uh, young people in particular? You know, what's uh, their choice? Do they still, you know, go back home with their parents, you know, or do they choose to spend uh, the holiday probably in some places uh, other than their hometown? 
Yeah, it's a, it's a very similar situation here. Um, the holidays start a little bit earlier here than, than in China. So um, typically the, the eve of the Lunar New Year and, and the first day is being spent with family and the ongoing days are being used for visiting relatives, uh, other friends. But then really on the second day after the Lunar New Year, that's where the travel rush begins. Um, most of the time that's uh, domestic, but Vietnam is a much smaller country than, than China, of course. So there, uh, there's lots of interest to travel to other countries like uh, Thailand, uh, Indonesia, but also China. If you look at the information uh, available online, obviously the people's choice uh, remains, let's say, you know, big cities, you know, Shanghai, Beijing, Shenzhen, Guangzhou, Chengdu. And of course, now this year, uh, or the end of last year, let's say, uh, the winter time anyway, you know, Harbin uh, has been uh, becoming Harbin. this uh, very popular destination for a lot of people. It's like uh, inevitable. You have to spend some days in Harbin during this winter. And it actually surpassed that, uh, the popularity of uh, you know the traditional cities, for example, you know Hangzhou, you know Sanya, etc. Uh, what do you make of that? You know, like uh, you know, why they are in what way they are becoming so attractive? There's not a single element that, that we can that we can highlight that will explain uh, the trend in its whole. Uh, however, um, I think. First of all, Chinese people have become more interested in winter destinations the last few years. Uh, that has also to do with the Winter Olympics, also has to do with more people going skiing. So I think that puts the, the winter, the, the, the cold, the snow destination on the map. Obviously, Harbin has a very well-orchestrated uh, marketing campaign around what is quite an incredible attraction. Uh, I've seen it in a lot of international social media as well, because people are really impressed with what is being put uh, on show in Harbin for for a few months' time. And I think it's the whole the whole orchestration of also young people looking for something new, um, maybe an adventure. You know, people looking are looking for fresh destinations, different things to do, combined with the winter sports. Um, trend, I would say, and then combine that with a well-orchestrated campaigns on social media. I think we all know in China what the power of social media can be uh, with the right kind of influencers, with the right kind of content, things can become incredibly popular in a very short period of time. Mm -hmm. Of course, the key for places like Harbin is to maintain that popularity throughout the year. So it's really important to see whether they can keep that up after uh, the winter, the winter time, or if it's really a seasonal thing. Mm -hmm. uh, Flora, you want Germany? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I actually asked this question to a Northeastern friend of mine. I said, you know, in the past, you Northwestern people flooded into Hainan, Sanya, all the southern cities to enjoy your life. And how come all of a sudden, all the southern people are flocking to your territory and making your hometown their second hometown. And he replied, you know, this is karma. <laughs> this is just a cycle. Um, 
nowadays, northeastern people have to earn more so that in the next year they can enjoy some bathing on the beach of Sanya. So it's just a cycle. And uh, jokes aside, I, I do think the social media campaign of Harbin is really successful. If you search uh, the name Harbin on the internet, either on um, you know uh, on Google or on Baidu, the image of Harbin is like a very warm-hearted funny big brother who spoiled the visitors from all over the world. You know, uh, Harbin would do anything to satisfy a visitor, for example, pouring hot water for the, pas uh, for the passengers, you know, and um, even the local residents would use their private cars to give a free ride to um, visitors if they cannot make it to the bus. Um, so the whole city is very hospital and, um, and they, they've shown the warm welcome to the whole world. And all of, the, all of those have been recorded and posted on social media and it went viral. According to the book, The Tipping Point, there are three factors you could adjust to create a social epidemic. The messenger, the message itself and the context. So if you think about the, the, the harbing, right, the messengers are the, the travel bloggers, the influencers, the local celebrities who would um, speak very highly of the experience. The message is quite sticky. Um, Everyone has already known the nickname, the little southern potatoes, you know, the nickname given by the northeastern people. Yes. Yeah. So, so the message is quite sticky. It's very easy to, uh, to be, uh, to be spread over the internet. And uh, thirdly, the context, right? Um, last year was the first year after the, uh, the COVID quarantine restrictions have been lifted. So everyone were desperately searching for fun and adventures. Where can they go to find a, such an adventurous land with all the ice? bingo harbing mm. right so harbing has become the destination but I, I do think the social media campaign is quite successful okay social media the influence mm -hmm. there uh he, you are in hainan you know haiko which is close to of course uh, the uh, sanya which used to be the top point city probably you know during the winter time for the chinese tourists uh, obviously uh, somehow you know the thunder is being stolen by harbin uh, how do you see that <laughs> Well, I'm pretty glad why Harbin has got some, you know, a lot of tourists going there because the northeastern provinces are trying to develop our economy. You know, the, the economic growth is very important for these provinces. Uh, they're actually lacking behind many of the developed provinces around the, around the country. So it's pretty good for them to have a lot of tourists. But if you actually come over to Hainan, come over to Sanya and Haiko, you know, you see these hotel prices keep on jumping upward. Um, the hotel I have been staying a few days ago jumped by about 200% uh, during the spring festival and, and the staff in the front desk told me that if you want to book the room you have to do it early otherwise we can't promise you the room. So you still see a lot of people rushing into Hainan. They just didn't really have the headline of the media this winter but still they're earning a lot of their money I would say. Mm -hmm. uh, so Marcos, uh, you know, are we seeing a similar competition you know, among cities, probably among different destinations you know, in Southeast Asia, in Vietnam, you know, in some countries, of course, to try to attract more tourists from certain places, you know, such as like, oh, you know, Thailand probably will do this utmost to attract Chinese, Chinese tourists, probably so is Malaysia, uh, things like that. Do you see the, you know, kind of similar competition there? 
Um, yeah, there's, there's definitely a competition amongst the Southeast Asian nations in attracting especially international uh, visitors and uh, among them, of course, Chinese visitors, uh, Indian visitors, these big markets, Australia, Europe, North America. Um, however, there are economies that are more reliant on tourism than, than others. Um, for example, Thailand, if you just look at trade, wouldn't be as reliant on, on China than many of the other economies here in Southeast Asia. But when we look at tourism, and uh, Thailand is a very um, or tourism in Thailand uh, plays a big part in the economy, then it's uh, very reliant. And um, the same goes for Malaysia, Singapore, Indonesia, with places like Bali, but also Vietnam. And uh, that's where we had very interesting developments uh, recently with visa-free travel being announced um, to be taken into effect, I think, next month for um, Malaysia, or, or already for Malaysia, next month for Thailand, and, and also for Singapore, uh, going both ways. So Chinese uh, tourists can travel to these places visa-free, but also uh, these Southeast Asian tourists can export China uh, visa-free. And uh, on top of that, also European countries and, and nationals that can travel to China visa-free, which was, in, in my opinion, very unexpected. Back to the domestic destination, we do see, you know, in the year 2023, uh, you see this um, fashionable practice, you know, for some reason, you know, a city could be uh, becoming this hottest destination for a certain period of time, for example, Zibo, for street food, we talked about Harbin, you know, uh, things like that, you know, what, what are the, of course, you talked, uh, you mentioned about, uh, you know, social media influence, uh, but also probably the hard work of local government, local officials uh, still, you know, what are the probably the, the secret, you know, how can they make it long term instead of being fetish? Well, a lot of uh, the social media influencing and, and uh, good work that, that Harbin has been done um, wasn't really received abroad, I think. Um, at least not uh, with with my circles, and I have lots of friends that, that used to live in China or travel to China frequently. So it, of course, it attracts uh, in the majority Chinese uh, domestic tourism. The international numbers are just uh, too low at this point. But I remember back in 2014, when I still used to live in, in uh, Berlin in Germany, for example, there used to be public buses uh, running around the city with uh, visit Hangzhou posters on them. And um, I, I think it, it needs uh, the awareness and um, international uh, marketing campaigns for specific um, yeah, cities in China that are, that are not the typical ones, such as Chengdu for, for panda sightseeing and, and Shanghai for the skyline and all that. Uh, I, I think it needs uh, a lot of more city exchanges, uh, twin city partnerships, and uh, especially student exchanges to, to bring more awareness to, to the many things that, that China has to offer to the world. Yaris, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you are the expert on tourism, on the brand of cities, on the brand of, uh, uh, you know, scenic sports in particular for, uh, for a particular city or, you know, a destination. Uh, what's your observation? You know, how can they make their, like, popularity uh, permanent? I mean, last at least for probably more than a year uh, <laughs> or more than a certain period of time rather than just, uh, you know, like a one-off thing. If you look at the the average the average Westerner, um, you know, Chengdu was just mentioned. Chengdu is not even that famous uh, on the international map, right? So, it's it's generally Beijing, Shanghai, and the Terracotta Warriors, and maybe they know the Terracotta Warriors is in Xi'an. So that means that any city or any province that really wants to put them on the international map will consistently 
have to put out really good campaigns to targeted markets and over prolonged periods of time. You know, I follow a lot of Chinese accounts uh, on the international social media, so I, I get a lot more exposure to what they're putting out there. Um, I would say the average person doesn't see any of that, or if they do, they may not remember. You know, you if you see, if you see a, re you have to understand that for most Westerners, Chinese names are quite obscure. It's like if you would look at uh, some Indian names or African names, you may not understand the language. Uh, so it's very difficult to, under to to remember these names, right? So you really have to build an association with this, and that means that these cities need to build consistent campaigns where they have uh, a single logo, maybe a slogan that is well designed for the international market. And when they when they go abroad, they need to start targeting certain countries over long periods of time. It's the same actually with companies. So when we look at brands, uh, Apple, Coca-Cola, some of the biggest brands in the world, uh, they, they put out their branding over long periods of time and they never stop. And that's and because you have that constant exposure, you will always think about these places. Mm -hmm. So it's quite difficult with such a big country like China. Uh, if you're a Hangzhou or a Nanjing, which are actually amazing cities, beautiful cities, everybody knows about them in China, to also put yourself on an international map. Yeah, that's uh, that's obviously. You mean being long term uh, is important. Uh, uh, speak of that, Jiahe. You know, uh, earlier, uh, Marcos, you know, mentioned about the visa-free treatment is uh, obviously attractive to individual uh, tourists. And what about the long term? Long term, will that help, or at what point that will help? You know, both business uh, ties between China and those countries like Thailand, Malaysia, and Singapore, for example. Uh, I guess you know, I'm talking about like investment trade, for example. Uh, what happens is that people visit each other's country more frequently and some businessmen start to hear from their relatives who, for example, visited Malaysia and found out there are so many, uh, you know, business opportunities or Chinese people living there. It's, it's pretty friendly culture and the businessman said, okay, next time let's go to pay a visit and maybe I find some business opportunities over there. So businesses are actually built between countries who actually visit each other more often. You know, every businessman, every investor have their wives, their parents, their children. These people are just tourists, but when they come back home, they talk to the businessman, they talk to the investors. So that's the thing. You, you, you can't just say, okay, I want the business, I don't want the tourists. That's not going to happen. You're going to have both of them, and they actually stimulate with each other. For example, the tourists, when they go back, they tell their business, uh, you know, the businessman at home, maybe the husband, about the potential opportunities that they have sold. On the other hand, is that if a business is going to invest a lot of money in another country, they employ people to go there, they bring business opportunities there, and they probably sell the products from another country in China. So this is kind of tie that it's, it's really mixed. Uh, you, you can't just say, I have this and I don't have that. These things just come all together. Well, Jack, related to the question. Point. Yeah, go ahead, Erith. If, yeah, if I may comment on this, I think you're making a really, really good point here. Uh, what I see with a lot of local governments is that they have the investment promotion department, they have the commerce department, they have the, the culture and tourism department, and they all do different things. And they use different brands, and they, they use different slogans. But actually, the brand should be very intertwined, and, and travelers can become business people. And... 
you know, some people may may come and travel to a place and they find out it's actually really nice and it's very different from what they've seen in the media. And it could be a place where they want to work or invest or bring their company to or tell their friends about. So it's actually very, very closely intertwined. Yeah, I closely agree. Intertwined, yeah. Uh, Jack, relatedly, of course, is about uh, you know this time is about uh, consumption, is about spending. You know where your you, your money is spent on. Uh, we do see you know recently you do see like uh, people from the north east part of China, for example, uh, they are crowd you know uh, crowding into this open market. You know, experiencing this fun and also the, some of the traditional practice. You know, purchasing. Uh, people from Hong Kong and Macau are visiting Shenzhen, neighboring Shenzhen, you know, for uh, to do purchasing over there. Uh, so, in terms of consumption, what's your expectation for this year? Well, if we looked at this year, definitely we're going to have much better tourism industry compared with last year. I mean, last year is a recovery from the COVID period. You know, people are gradually recovering. The domestic uh, recovery is actually much quicker. But if you look at the international uh, traveling of China, it's actually recovered slower uh, compared with the domestic traveling. The main reason is that when Chinese people go into another country, they need translators. I mean, uh, it's not many countries in the world that do speak Chinese as a main language. You expect countries like Malaysia and Singapore, but most other countries speak like English, Spanish, uh, Japanese. So when Chinese people go in there, they can't go along. Most of the Chinese people can't go along. I mean, maybe I can, but most of the people can't go along. So they need to employ the translators, the traveling agencies. And many of these uh, companies actually uh, tra transferred their businesses and people transferred their jobs during the three years the fighting against the COVID because it didn't have that much business. So now the COVID has been ended for over over one year and people are gradually coming back to this industry. We're gradually having more travel agencies, uh, more translators. This is a much slower process compared with the domestic traveling. I mean, domestic traveling is very easy. Just buy a ticket, go there. It's, it's so simple. So it's coming back gradually. If you see the data month by month, it's coming back gradually. So looking into this year, 2024, I, I'm pretty certain that you will see much higher growth of the global traveling for the Chinese uh, tourists, basically because we got uh, more translators, more travel agencies coming back. Mm -hmm. uh, well, uh, Flora, uh, lastly, uh, any plan to do shopping uh, in your destination? Of course, <laughs> I'm all ready to go shopping. And actually, um, during the New Year's Eve of um, 2024, I actually traveled to Hong Kong with my families as well. I shopped a gift for every member in my family, so it's lucky to be my family. Um, but. I, I guess in the 2024, the, uh, the consumption uh, rate of China will c keep climbing. And in the year of dragon, we will see the Chinese economy experiencing an upward recovering trend. Uh, as we say, Long Tai to, the, the dragon will raise its head. I believe this is what will happen to the Chinese economy in this year. Yeah, auspicious, you know, the year of a dragon. Uh, anything special to say, uh, Marcos, uh, you know, to our audience, you know, for the year of dragon? Well, uh, travel to China. <laughs> so concise. <laughs> concise. Yerith, so for uh, the traveling and the consumption, uh, anything to look forward to in 2024? I think it's going to be a very surprising year. Um, we're going we're gonna to see a lot more changes, I think, in, in China's policy. I don't think we're at the end yet of the visa-free policies and other changes that are going to make things easier, like uh, Alipay payments, um, there's a lot of other barriers. So, so in short, um, 
recovering the inbound market is related to a lot of different things. We have removed a few different barriers now. With that, we come to the end of today's show. Many thanks to our guests. 